Good morning, church. Today's passage is from Genesis chapter 11. Uh, Before I read, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word. As we read and listen to your word, and as Rowan expound on your word, may we be encouraged by the truth in your word. Let the truth in your word continue to sanctify us and transform our minds and lives to be more like your Son, Jesus Christ. Grant us ears to listen and hearts to obey. Thank you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen. I'll be reading from Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in China and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning and thank you again for your welcome. It's my joy and privilege this morning to share from you from God's Word. And I will be uh, speaking on the passage that we just heard read. Now I'm going to read it a second time and uh, I'd like to invite you to listen and see if there are any words or phrases that stand out to you. Hearing it a few times in a row sometimes uh, yields surprising results. If you have a Bible handy, you might find it helpful to have it open. Genesis 11, verses 1 to 9. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in China and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. So I wonder if you noticed any words or phrases that stood out. It's uh, easy to miss, but there's actually a particular expression that's repeated five times in this story. 
It's uh, translated a few different ways in the NIV, but in Hebrew it's exactly the same formulation. Five times. Does anyone, I'm not going to ask you to say it out loud, but does anyone think they might have noticed it? Hidden in plain sight. So the expression in Hebrew is kol ha'aretz, which means in English, all of the earth. In verse 1, the whole world had one language. In verse 4, let us build our city, otherwise we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. In verse 8, the Lord scattered them from there over the whole earth. And twice in verse 9. So we have the first verse, twice in the last verse. Uh, he confused the language of the whole world, and from there he scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Five times, this one little expression. And that's because this story is a story about the whole earth. And God is God of the whole earth. So this morning I want to focus on three things that we learn from this passage and some of the implications of, of those things for us as disciples of Jesus, particularly with a view to prayer. So firstly, we learn, or at the very least we're reminded, that God has a plan for all the earth. The story of Babel is a story of all human beings, set before the human race divides into various people groups. Let's have a look at just a little bit of context to help us here. Because Genesis 11 is not the first time we learn of God's plan for the earth. What's the first? Let's start at the start. The first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then later in the same chapter, God creates humans. And what does he tell them to do? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. A few chapters later, there's the flood, this act of uncreation in response to human wickedness and then uh, recreation, as it were. And what does God tell Noah to do afterwards? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God's plan is for humans to fill the earth. Now, in Babel, people tried to resist that purpose. Let's build a city and a tower. Why? so that we will not be scattered over the face of the earth. Well, God's interest in the peoples of the earth doesn't end at Babel either. It's one of the major themes uh, of the biblical storyline. And we see it again in the very next chapter. In chapter 12, one of the uh, key turning points in the biblical story, God calls Abraham and he makes a promise to him. He says to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So even when God singles out one person, his plan is for the whole earth. This theme comes and goes through the, New through the Old Testament, sometimes very prominent and sometimes in the background. Um, and of course, it's also very clear in the New Testament. I know you're doing a series on Acts at the moment, and um, you might remember Acts 1, verse 8. It's a sort of a programmatic verse for the book of Acts. Jesus tells his disciples, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Um, and of course, you, you'll see that commission unfolding through uh, as, as you read and explore the book of Acts. 
So this story reminds us that God is God of all the earth and that he has a plan for all the earth. And that means for every nation. And so if you're a Christian today, I would like to challenge you and ask you, are you on board with God's plan for all the earth? I'll talk a little bit more about that as, as it unfolds. But that's the first challenge is God's vision for the world. Is that the same as yours? Uh, John Stott famously said that we must be global Christians because our God is a global God. We need to have a global vision because that's the nature of the God who we serve. And is that represented in your prayers? What are the things that you pray for every day or every week or every time you meet with your Bible study? That will give you some insight into your vision for the world. And do you remember when Jesus uh, looked around and he saw the people were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd? He said, the, uh, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And what's the first response to do? Is to pray. He didn't say, so go and be their shepherd. He said, no, first ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Um, you know, as Bethany mentioned, we've got some prayer guides um, for you if, if you're interested in, in that. And there are lots of other prayer resources available. Um, mission organizations love writing prayer guides, and that's because they believe in prayer. Our, um, the, the slogan for SIM, our organization, is simply by prayer. You go to SIM International website, by prayer is what it says. I have this uh, little sticker here. I, we got it at a national conference a couple of years ago, and it's a, it's a map of the country where we serve, and it simply says, SIM, we pray. I carry this around in my wallet uh, when we're in Africa. And we do pray. I'm going to um, share a little story, partly because it's um, an interesting story. It's sort of somewhat linked with the passage, but mainly because I want to encourage you to pray and I want to give God glory for his kindness to us, frankly. There was a a difficult situation we had with our neighbours where um, I was in our yard one time and we've got... All the houses in our city have a tall brick wall all around them and the wall has a like a vine growing on it with flowers in it. And I was looking at the flowers, maybe cutting them or something, and I saw a snake. Not a very big snake, about this long, a quite quite skinny. It was a very handsome snake, a dark sort of olive green and a pale white on the bottom. And I called out Bethany, Oh Bethany, come look at the snake. She's a, she'd never seen a snake in the wild. I'm sort of used to them from farms and being in the bush, but she'd never seen one. So she ran out and it had disappeared. Now, it turns out that was a mistake because the correct response when you see a snake in the place where we live is immediately to kill it. I didn't do that. Now, word got around that there was a snake in our yard and so all our neighbours were quite alarmed about this. Um, in the end, we had to get people in to cut back all the vines on the, on, the, uh, on the wall in the hope that they would find out where the snake was hiding because and Abe's are like, you need to deal with this, you need to deal with this. And if the snake had caused trouble to someone, that would have been a real problem for us. Um, and more so for the person who got bitten, I imagine. Now, um, we uh, didn't find the snake after, the, after it was cut back. And I was sort of at my wit's end. It was becoming difficult and stressful. And then I had a brilliant idea. I would pray and ask God to help me deal with this. So I, I, I asked God to show me where the snake was so that we could kill it. And the same afternoon, pro- literally I think it would have been about half an hour later, I was, this is after some weeks of trying to find the snake, 
about half an hour after I pray, I walked out the front of our house and I was also looking at the wall from the outside and the stumps of the vines that had all been chopped back. And I was just a little lizard, tiny lizards everywhere where we live. And I was just watching a lizard walk by. And quick as a flash, from a hole which I couldn't see in the wall, the head of a snake comes down, grabs the lizard around the middle, disappears. Less than a second, bam, bam, lizard disappears. I know where the snake is. So I put a mark in the sand with my toe, came back later that day, and, um, well, needless to say, we killed the snake. You don't need the gory details. But, you know, God answers prayer. And, uh, you know, I can say, well, that was just one little prayer that I prayed and God answered it like that. But, you know, I know that back in Australia, people are praying for us all the time and praying that God will look after us and he'll provide what we need. And so, you know, everyone who's been praying for, for us was probably part of that prayer that God answered so spectacularly. So I want to I give God glory for uh, such a spectacular answer to prayer, but also it was very important for our ministry that that could be dealt with. So we pray. So let me encourage you to develop a global vision that's in line with God's global vision and for that to be reflected in your prayers. All right, well, the second thing we learn from this story is that cultural diversity is part of God's plan. The different nations, the different languages and cultures of the world exist because God wants them to. This is probably the most controversial thing I'll say today. I, and this is that what happened at Babel was not a curse. Rather, it was a blessing and it was an integral part of God's good plan for the world. So firstly, it's interesting that the text nowhere identifies these events as a curse. Um, uh, the proliferation, proliferation of languages, apparently it's not a curse. And it's not even evident that God's actions here are an act of judgment or condemnation. When God does act in response to the people's resistance to his plan, he doesn't strike anyone down. He doesn't even destroy the tower, contrary to my recollections from Sunday school. All he does is he gives them languages so that they will fill the earth like they were supposed to according to his original plan. What's the commission to human beings in Genesis? Fill the earth. What happens at the end of the events at Babel? People begin to fill the earth. This is a good outcome. It's interesting, if we read Genesis up to this, uh, up to this point in order, we actually find after all the fill the earth commands that people do start to fill the earth. In chapter 10, after the flood, we read of the nations that descend from Noah's sons. This is before the story of Babel. He says, each of them is with their own lands and each with their own language. There is no hint here that this is anything other than the good response to God's good commission to humankind. And uh, in Acts 17, Paul says that God wanted people to live in different places so that they would search for him, reach out for him, and maybe even find him. This, having people in different places of the world, is part of God's plan for salvation. And I, I think this can help us to think positively about the cultural diversity in the world and also the cultural differences that we have to deal with. I, I wonder, is there anyone here who was born overseas? Anyone who grew up in a different country? Yes, one, two, okay, quite a few, very good. Is there anyone here who was born in Australia but your parents were born in another country? A few more, okay. So 
you will probably know what I'm talking about. Um, or perhaps if you've uh, spent a long time in another country, you'll know this as well. You might know the confusion, the frustration, the unintended offence that can arise from cultural differences. Or if you've ever thought that someone from another country was rude, chances are they weren't. If there's someone who wouldn't use your first name when they talked to you and you thought they were being distant, or perhaps someone who used your first name too quickly and you thought they were being disrespectful, someone who burped at the dinner table or someone who didn't compliment you on the meal that you cooked, someone who didn't finish the food you served them so you thought they didn't like it, or someone who ate everything you gave them and implied that you haven't given them enough food, um, someone who avoided eye contact when you spoke to them, or someone who kept staring at you when you spoke to them, or maybe a friend who turns up unannounced at mealtimes at your house and expects to stay for hours. Well, it's very likely that things like this are not actually people being rude, but just cultural differences. I don't like telling embarrassing stories, so I won't, but I assure you we've done all sorts of culturally inappropriate things over the last three years. But when we're frustrated or when we're tempted to judge the other culture or when we're simply embarrassed and feel stupid, we can remind ourselves that the cultural differences that we wrestle with are actually part of God's good plan for this world. And the same goes, of course, for the difficulty of learning a new language, which is particularly challenging as an adult. Now, while these cultural differences can be very difficult to navigate, they're also an amazing opportunity to glorify God. Language learning is an amazing ministry opportunity, and very often people like us find that their language helpers uh, become some of their best friends, and quite often they're amongst the first of the new believers. Um, and uh, with cultural differences, we can learn Christ-like, sorry, this is faced with cultural differences, we can learn Christ-like humility, we can set aside what we think of as our rights to learn new ways of doing things, and we can actually set aside cultural differences, even ethnic hostilities, to worship God together. And do you know that the wisdom of God is made known in the heavenly realms by the ethnic and cultural diversity of the church? That's from Ephesians 3. Last year, Bethany and I majored on the book of Ephesians. We did lots of Bible studies, uh, Bible studies on the whole book. Uh, we had a sermon series on Ephesians at our local church in Africa. Now, what I was surprised to find, and I had never noticed before, is that the question of ethnicity is a major theme in Ephesians. Paul talks a lot uh, in the first four chapters about the mystery of the gospel. And do you know what the mystery of the gospel is in Ephesians? It's actually not the resurrection of Jesus. It's not the, the atonement. Um, it's not our imputed righteousness, not righteousness, not the fact that God became flesh for our salvation or that we are adopted as children of God, although all those things are in Ephesians and they're all very important. The mystery of the gospel in Ephesians is that Jews and non-Jews have become fellow heirs, members of the same body, and sharers in the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's Ephesians 3, verses 5 and 6. Now, you don't have to read much more of Paul's letters to learn that cultural differences didn't disappear when people became Christians. And, of course, they were a source of much heartache in the, local, in the early church. But this is the reality of what God has done in Christ. 
and God is glorified amongst the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places by an ethnically and culturally diverse church. Isn't that amazing? God knew what he was doing at Babel. So the cultural diversity which we enjoy is a part of God's good plan for this world. Of course, there are parts of every culture which are not good, but if we want to share the good news with people from other cultures, we find it really helpful to learn, to understand, and to honor those cultures. And that's why Bethany and I have spent the last three years focusing on learning language and culture, and that's why we'll continue to do so when we return. There's a, an African Bible scholar called uh, Adiyemo, he's uh, quite, quite well known, and he, I like what he writes about this. He says, we need, because often people sort of overdo culture and make culture the most important thing, but he, what he says is, we need to learn people's language, history, stories, and present experiences so that we can sensibly explain the gospel to them. We don't change the gospel to make it fit in a culture, but we understand the values of a culture so that we can explain the gospel in a way that makes sense. Well, when we were invited to share this morning, we were asked uh, to share about some of the challenges of our work and how you can pray for us, which is an extremely good thing to ask us. Um, It's lovely to be in a church that recognizes that there are real challenges in the kind of work that we do, and it's Extremely encouraging to visit a church where we know people want to pray for us. So um, I think one of the greatest challenges that we face in our life in Africa is in this area of culture and ethnicity. Um, And of course that includes language as well. So please pray for the missionaries you know who are living in different cultures, um, including us. Pray for wisdom, for humility and grace. Pray for perseverance as they navigate the waters of a new culture and the challenges of learning a new language. Well, the third thing we see from the story of Babel is that God achieves his plans for the nations. He says, fill the earth, but the people want to stay in their city. God intervenes and achieves his purposes for the nations. And so the earth is now filled with people. That commission that we read in Genesis, first to Adam and then to Noah, is fulfilled because God achieves his plans for the nations. And this is really good news for us because we have a new commission for the whole earth. And that one is not yet fulfilled. In Matthew 28, after Jesus' resurrection, uh, he comes to his disciples. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. I love reading, and I love discovering a new author. I was delighted a few years ago to discover this author, Helen McInnes. She writes good spy stories, maybe a little bit more romantic than I prefer, but They're still G-rated and it's not difficult to follow the plot. Now, I haven't read this one and I'm not sure that I will because the last one I read let me down. It was called I and My True Love and it was a terrible book. It was really well written. It had good characters, a great sense of place. It was set in Washington in the 1950s. 
It's a great book. And then it had a horrible ending. And I felt let down. I felt cheated. I wished I hadn't read the book. I felt like my trust in this author that I discover had had been violated. And so now I find it hard to read books by Helen McInnes because I'm afraid that they will end badly. I sort of want to skip to the end and and check that the hero wins uh, before I actually invest all my time and energy in reading the book. Well, the story of Babel tells us that God is a hero who wins. He has plans for the whole world, and these plans work out. God is a reliable author. And we know that the same thing is happening with the new commission to make disciples of all nations. We're still in the middle of this story, but guess what? I've read to the end, and we win. Revelation 7, verses 9 to 10. After this I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And so we can pray with confidence. We know that God will achieve his purposes for the nations, and that includes the nation where Bethany and I live and work. And uh, when we pray with someone, when we pray for someone, we can then rejoice with them and glorify God with them, with all of our hearts, when we see God answer those prayers. Sometimes it's easy to be discouraged as a missionary, but we know that our work is in alignment with God's plan for the world. And we know that God will realize his plans. There are still hundreds of people groups that are unengaged by the gospel. That means that there are no Christians amongst them and there is nobody who is working to share the gospel with these people. Hundreds of such people groups. Now, many of these people are extremely inaccessible and the challenges will be significant for those who try to reach them. But the people who do try to reach them and the people who support those people in prayer will do so knowing that God achieves his plans for the nations. And they will do so knowing that one day before the throne, there will be believers from every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language. And uh, I want to finish by encouraging you and just saying that this is happening now. The religious climate in the country where we work can be very challenging, but actually it's a really exciting time to be involved in ministry amongst people from this religion. In the first 12 years of this century, more people turned from this religion to Christ than they had done in the previous 12 centuries. Because God is achieving his plans for the nations. So we've seen three lessons from this passage, and I've proposed three ideas to help you pray. Firstly, we saw that God has a plan for the whole world and for every nation. And uh, I encourage you to have a similar vision and to show that in your prayer life. Secondly, we saw that cultural diversity is part of God's good plan, and I asked you to pray for missionaries who are in the thick of the complexities of cultural diversity. And finally, we saw that God is a God who achieves his purposes for the world, 
And uh, I want to encourage you to pray with confidence, knowing that your prayers are in accord with the plan of God. And that one day we will all rejoice together in the presence of God uh, in the fulfillment of these plans. Amen.